namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma samputassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma samputassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma samputassa uttang dhammang sankhang namasam During the sitting, I noticed that someone was breathing very, uh, in a very labored and loud way. You might just consider that when, when we're meditating in a group, the people close to the loud breather uh, can get distracted by that. And we use distraction as a part of our meditation, but if they're trying to focus on their own breath, then it makes it, uh, well, it's a different practice. So if, if you what you might do is just consider breathing more smoothly, more quietly, more softly. And if you want to do heavy breathing, like pranayama, then you can do that in your room, in your kitty. So you kind of always uh, consider that uh, although you're, you're sitting here doing your own practice, there's people sitting beside you, the way you move around, uh, and, and so on. So you have this sense of um, kindness and consideration to everyone in the room. And obviously, if someone has asthma or breathing issues, and that's another thing, uh, or they're having some emotional upheaval, and that's just the way it is. But uh, you might just try to smooth your breath out, make it gentle, make it calm, make it beautiful, uh, rather than the rough breath. And then if you want to do some really powerful breathing, then do it at another time. Monastery life is that we're, we're we're always very sensitive to how we affect each other, but not in a paranoid way, not in a way we that we're uh, afraid of each other. It's more coming from compassion and sensitivity rather than fear, fear of blame or fear of not being liked, or those kinds of things, because those aren't really healthy. But it is healthy. Compassion is obviously healthy. Sensitivity is 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 very very healthy. Um, so, trying to find a balance between um, being uh, so self-absorbed that one doesn't notice anyone else, or being so other-absorbed, as it were, that you're just totally afraid to do anything. Those would be two extremes. The middle way of, of being, having a, a personal integrity about your own work, your own spiritual work, your own duties and responsibilities, and then, how can I fit in? Who are these people? How? How can my movement behavior uh, be beautiful, be harmonious, be uh, in tune what's going on? So you notice, like, we started this sitting early because others were taking care of the tent which blew apart, and they all came in very quietly, very gently, and that's, that's beautiful, isn't it? It's beautiful behavior. And Ajahn Chah was very much, in, in what, one of the ways he taught was to try to bring beauty into one's life. Uh, and part of that beauty was the sensitivity in movement, uh, uh, in, 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 in the non-verbal relationship we have with each other, just the way we interact with each other. So, do, do consider that. Uh, the, the reference that we always consider in, in Theravada Buddhism is Four Noble Truths. And if you've never studied that, it's a good thing to study. Look at it in, in various, uh, from various uh, commentaries or avenues with different teachers. Um, 
And oftentimes it's said that the Buddha taught two things, suffering and the end of suffering. And the cause of suffering is the attachment to craving. The end of suffering is the letting go of craving. So all those things need to be understood. What craving is, what attachment is, um, what letting go is. And one of the ways we, we very much get attached to, to life and the experience of life is through idealism. Um, where we have strong ideals uh, and then we try to live up to those ideals, which is fine, but then if we attach to those ideals, then the reality of life can be quite conflicting uh, and then we get caught in uh, uh, self-definitions based on those ideals, become self-critical or we project those ideals outwards and we become critical uh, of others and their behaviors and, and uh, social systems. And so the mind's very much uh, coming from an ideal place, which is fine, but it's attaching to that ideal place and not seeing well, what, is, what is reality? What, what is the way it is now? How is it now? Which doesn't condone or condemn, it's just, not, just well, what's it really like now before my uh, ideal uh, model uh, is is uh, superimposed on the way things are, and um, so I was talking to one of the monks who who got a bit uh, frustrated with someone and, and said some strong words very briefly, and and felt uh, somewhat bad about that. And I was reflecting, it, and there's a difference between anger and hatred, isn't there? We say the letting go of greed, hatred, and delusion, and there's a huge difference between anger and hatred. And I think you know, we all get angry. And I think anger is quite natural. Uh, you know, someone just uh, pushes your buttons too much, and you just give them a little blast. You don't hate them. You might even love them very dearly. Or you're just frustrated something isn't working, and you get angry at the computer. Or or whatever, and those, I think sometimes in, uh, in, in Buddhist circles we, we can function from very idealized models of what we should be and then make a mountain out of a molehill, you know, just like uh, beat ourselves up because we were a bit cross with someone who said a few words. Uh, but anger which is infected by hatred, that's a different program, isn't it? Anger, which is infected by hatred, is vicious, it's cruel, it's vindictive, it's um, repeated, it's manipulative. You know, you just, it's a whole different mindset, isn't it? A whole, whole different mindset. So the, the abandonment of hatred and the abandonment of anger, well, how do you do that? How do you do that? All, none of us we like to be angry. Um, but you can't you can look in your own life, in your own mind, uh, do you actually hate people? Like is there someone in your life that whenever, whenever their name comes up or their image comes up or some memory comes up, you immediately go to uh, ill will, wishing them ill will, wishing them harm, wishing them failure, wishing them um, everything negative you can think of. 
Uh, and how often does the mind do that? Maybe not very often, actually. But it can get irritated. So it's, 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 it's different, isn't it? One is like a... a like hate is like an underlying toxic um, resonance which infects one's whole perception of life. Mm-hmm. Whereas anger, just the anger that, that might pop up, eh, it's just your nervous system needs to somehow blow a fuse or something like that. When anger is, is used in a, in a way of wrong speech, cruelty, when it's used in a way where we hurt people physically, then obviously that's, 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 that's not what we're about. But I do find people are so idealistic that they create a lot of suffering by not seeing that the problem wasn't the anger, it was the attachment to the idea that I am someone who never should be angry. And that's an ideal, that's all it is, it's an ideal. And you notice that ideals don't have the flu. Ideals don't have the history of a grandfather who was in the Holocaust. We had a, a gentleman here. Ideals uh, uh, don't don't have arthritis. Uh, ideals uh, and so on and so forth. You think of it yourself, because ideals are just ideas. They're just they're just thoughts, really. The mental constructs created to some sense of perfection. And then you read the text, and you read about these great beings whose minds just don't move, they're totally equanimous. You know, you can do anything, you can prick them with pins and pour scalding water on them and they won't do anything. I haven't met anyone like that myself, right? You hear about people like that, and then maybe you create ideals around that. Perfect man, perfect woman, perfect monk, blah, 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 blah. And then the whole program becomes one of craving to be that and criticizing not being that rather than awakening to reality. But awakening to reality is a whole different thing, isn't it? It's not, it's not a judgment about your emotional state or the way you relate to someone. It's awakening to how that actually functions and works and operates in your own mind. So the... the uh, the attachment to craving in terms of idealism is this sense of I, I am becoming someone who will find some emotional perfection at some point uh, in the future and then anything which isn't that emo- emotional perfection I tend to disparage. But that's all just loaded with Atavada or self-view, me and mine. I am someone who should not be angry. But in Dharma, you know, anger it's not a personal quality, it's simply a conditioned phenomenon that arises because stimulation was such. And the more we, uh, the less we invest in something like anger, the less power it has. But self-hatred is anger, isn't it? When, when, you, when, when we always uh, flagellate ourselves with our uh, idealized uh, uh, comparisons to the behavior we have, that's actually hatred. And this is the kind of irony where, where you, know, yeah, you flare up at someone and you say, you know, stop, stop hassling me, will you? Or you throw them out of the workshop, like I threw a couple of monks out of the workshop the other day. And, 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 uh, and, and then, I mean, I didn't go there, but 
But then you, then you, you say, oh, I shouldn't be like that. It's a terrible thing. I shouldn't be like that. I'm a terrible... That's hatred. So you think you, you know, one, one th- if this is the model where the, where the mind is working, one thinks it's one's doing a good thing, like self-flagellating, but that's actually hatred, isn't it? That's what hatred's about. It's like this, this inner tyranny which is constantly um, uh, beating you up because of, because of some ideals which have come from society, from parents, from literature, from wherever it's come from. Whereas the, the, the awakening to something like anger, that, that's, that's actually much more difficult. Much more difficult to awaken. You know, really, this irritation is, is like this. And if you heat, you want to uh, uh, hurt someone, you want to hurt yourself, but you just notice, you notice this is, this is what it feels like. And this sense of awakening to this very real reality of being a human being is where we enter into the whole idea of anatta. This is not not a personal problem. It's a phenomena which arises in the flow of consciousness according to causes and conditions. And and accepting that is actually compassion. And that's the irony. When you accept something like anger as a natural phenomena, you tend not to be so angry in the future because now your your reference is awareness rather than anger. Whereas if you take idealism and, you, ha- and you, you, you attach to that, then the idealism is always being driven by criticism, by aversion, by hatred. So even though you think you're doing a good thing, actually you're, you're investing or in, 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 uh, you're injecting into flow of consciousness more hatred. And hatred cannot put an end to hatred, obviously. So you hear that phrase, hatred does not, you know, hatred does not, appease hatred and you think, oh, I shouldn't be angry. But that already is a judgment which will lead to hatred. But the awakening to anger, say, or hatred, whatever it is, and then the non-engagement with it, the knowing of it, but the non-engagement, the non-grasping or the non-attachment or the uh, non-preoccupation with it is a different different kind of um, training that we do. I can you know, we can, we can feel angry and be preoccupied with that by going into self-hatred or, you know, why do they do that to me? It's not fair. We go back and forth. Yeah, I shouldn't be angry. That's preoccupation. The mind's just preoccupied with this thing. Or we can feel anger in this case and say to ourselves, oh, anger's like this. What's it really like to feel angry? Then we're no longer preoccupied with the anger, we are aware of the anger. Big difference. There's a big difference. And the non-preoccupation of anger puts you in the driver's seat of awareness. And in awareness, as, you, as we constantly um, mm. re- remind ourselves, recollect uh, the, the nature of change and the nature of impersonality, that this is this is dependent on causes and conditions. This arises because these causes were there, made the trigger, that emotion came up, and then the emotion ceased. And you see, that's a flow. And the awareness of that, this will change, this will change, this will change, this is uncertain, is the sort of um, re- contemplative, almost mantra that we try to put uh, into our lives so that we perceive it according to 
truth, according to Dharma, according to the way things are, rather than according to our idealized um, uh, models and, and, and the cruelty of that, the kind of inner tyranny which that can, uh, can uh, um, engender, right? We can be really cruel to ourselves, it's really quite uh, disturbing in that way. Now, uh, if a person was a sociopath and very arrogant, then one wouldn't talk to him this way. <laughs> you know, but, but, you know, we're not that way. We we come here because we have wholesome intentions and 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 we we want to be better people. But how do you become a person that goes beyond anger? Well, you know, anger is an object. How do you become a person that never has anger? Well, you, you're looking for trouble. You say to yourself, "I'm never going to be angry." You know darn well you can't do that. But you can be aware of anger, and then and then what happens is that the because the emphasis is on awareness of change, then anger is seen as, as as dharma, the dharma of, of an emotional being, the dharma of uh, a human being who has a history of of, of difficult childhood or you know, all the different things that we are conditioned by. Oh, that's why that's there. And even if you don't know, if you don't know why these different emotions come up. The dharma of change, the awakened mind knowing change, is the refuge. Is the refuge. But idealism, we tend to take refuge in thought, in ideals, and then we 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 get very confused. So as we as we become more and more skillful in listening to the the language, the the, the storylines that we have, and, and the things that we. Uh, that are produced in the mind through habit and, and culture and conditioning and all that. Uh, as we become more and more aware of that, we say, yeah, yeah, that's the thinking, but well, how is it really now? What is the reality of now? And to do that, as I often say, you have to stop thinking. You don't have to get rid of thought, no. You just have to listen to this moment. What's this moment really like? So it's like, you're, you're in, one, in one hand, you know, sometimes we have these patterns of thinking based on annoyance or aversion or anxiety or forms of, of greed or fascination or whatever it might be, loneliness, so many. Uh, and, and so then we try to get rid of them. So we, you know, we, 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 the mind is just going on and on and on. So we just try to get rid of that through distraction or whatever we do with the drugs or, oh, it's uh, marijuana is legal today, by the way. That's just inside. Um, so, but you have to be uh, 18, is, uh, and then you can buy it online. But you can't smoke it at the monastery. So it's the same as alcohol. So it's not a problem. Anyway, I don't think anyone think we're going beyond that. Um, but, but if we if we uh, if we don't if we don't learn. Uh, how to actually awaken to the way things are, we never go through this kind of purification. And, and, and unfortunately, that's a part of the spiritual life, is the, 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 um, the habit patterns, which are so real in their thinking programs. Uh, we begin to uh, see they're see their, their, their real in, in, in the tone that they have, but they're not real as absolute realities. 
So what we do is, as we, as we notice the thinking mind, we get better and better at knowing, yeah, there's the thinking mind, but also there's the color red. And that's here too. And, and that way, you, by changing the sense door or the sense object, you're not, it's not like you're getting rid of thought, you're just not preoccupied with thought and going to another sense object. You do that mindfully. It's not repressive. It's not denying that the mind is rabbiting on. But usually we don't know how to do that. What we do is we simply try to focus on something in order to get rid of thought. And that's, that's subtle but important. You can, I know I did that early on in, in, in my monastic life. I would, I, would see, I would notice the mind is thinking about something and then I'd try to focus on my breath. But I did it to try to get rid of the thinking. Never worked. Just got more thought. But if you, if you, if you, if you notice the mind thinking, oh yeah, thinking about tomorrow, yeah, and then yeah, but today there's this color. You start to use the ordinariness of life to ground yourself into the reality of the way things are. And then if the mood is, is, is quite powerful, you can notice it in the moment. Like, what's the mood like? Viscerally, as, as a mind form, moods are very complicated, aren't they? They have a bodily component, they have a mental component, they have the component of being unattractive or attractive, they're quite complicated. But the complexity is actually simplified by saying, this is a mood. And then just allowing the silence of, the silent receptivity of awareness to just to sort it out for you. And that we don't tend to have faith in. We think we have to analyze it and figure it out and do something about it, fix it. So quite often we'll use metta bhavana to try to fix anger, but we'll be trying to get rid of anger by doing metta bhavana. It's a kind of irony again. But, but actually just trusting that if you, if, you just know, if you just know change, that this will work itself out. Now, that has to be done in terms of morality and responsibility and right action and right speech. If you don't have that, this wouldn't work. So you have right action, you have right speech, and you don't dump, we don't dump stuff on people, and we don't run away from life. We just face life as it comes. And then within that, we, the, the, the faith, I would say, in this practice is in the awakened mind knowing change. And that, you can see, it's very difficult if your ideals are saying you shouldn't be this way. Uh, if it's very uh, unpleasant or uncomfortable, or something very, very attractive that you want to get, you want to own and have, and, and, and go there. So to know an attractive mood as that, and to know a repulsive mood as that, this kind of middle way is done how? It's done through having faith and confidence in the awake mind, and knowing the way things are. And this is before you start thinking, before you start analyzing, before you start judging, before you... Uh, conceptualize things in, in all the different patterns. Because when we conceptualize things, quite often in that conceptualization is a whole chunk of me. Me, this person who has this problem, or there I am again. But to know, to know, to know color before you, you conceptualize it, to know sound before you do that, to know emotion before it becomes this construct of self is, is, a, is a very refined kind of thing to do. And you notice it's not like saying that you shouldn't be that way. But it's also not indulging in it. It's not, it's not like, uh, oh yeah, you can be angry, go ahead and, and punch the monks in the face. They, they can handle it. 
<laughs> no, I can't. It's not that. It's neither. It's neither condoning nor indulging. It's awakening. It's awakening. And sometimes we think we think that those are the only two polar. You know, those polarities are the only way we should operate. Either like, if you don't if you if you don't uh, if you don't indulge in it, then you're repressing it. That's a kind of common misunderstanding. But just knowing it is not repressing it. And not going to the thinking pattern is not repression. It's just not going to the thinking pattern. And that skill is is, is uh, not much. It's very hard, isn't it? Not to kind of just jump on the on the bandwagon of, of thinking, on the patterning of thinking. We can use thought. We can use thought skillfully. Uh, but the skillful use of thought, after we've sort of understood how the mind works, which doesn't take that long, uh, our own patterns. Because the patterns we have are usually just, you know, three or four, but they have a million objects. If you think about it, you know, what are the patterns? Annoyance, worry, a bit of greed. <laughs> it's not that much. Uh, but all the things we can be greedy about, or all the people we can be annoyed at, or all the things we can be anxious of, that's myriad, isn't it? Endless. So once you sort of step back and start to just look at, you know, how, how does this mind work? How, how do I suffer? Why do I suffer? Where does my mind go? Where does the thinking mind go? You get a sense, oh yeah, this is what this character's uh, formations, uh, this flow of consciousness, how, these are the patterns that tend to happen. Um, and then once you, once you sort of understand that, and how do you understand that? You don't take it personally. You look at it, it's personal, it's individual, sure, but you don't infect it with a sense of blame or or I am a person who has an anger problem and I should you don't do all that, you just know anger's this way, gets triggered by these things, tends to run off into those kinds of thinking, anxiety is this way, gets triggered by those situations, tends to run that way. Yeah? And you just see, okay, this is the flow. This is the flow of stuff that goes on. And it goes on and on and on. And then you, you start to say, well, do I really, am I really seeking refuge in the flow of stuff? Or is the flow of stuff a refuge? Or is transcendence something which is not about the flow? And it's not about the flow, it's about awareness of the flow. It's different. Awareness of the flow. And that we do by awakening to change. When you do that, uh, like if you're upset about something and you say, ah, oh, there it is, yeah. Same one, saw it last week, saw it yesterday, saw it two hours ago, whatever. Uh, and this will change. And then you sit in the fire and you feel it. Now, I've never been able to feel that, and I've um, done a lot of distracting and blaming and that. Then you know, it's hard, it's hard to do. Once you get the hang of it, you, you see actually this is a golden opportunity because it's an opportunity for purification, for letting go, for this thing coming out of consciousness. And you, you start to, you know, it sounds facetious, but, but, but you start to actually say, oh great, I can really work with this, I can really be aware of this. So then the thinking, in that sense, isn't like a whole bunch of analysis. You don't need to do that once you've figured it out. More it's, it's the injection of language to help, you, uh, re to help you recollect the insights you already have. Because all of us have insights, all of us have wisdom. We've seen things about 
our own minds and, and, and why we suffer and, and so on. You know, we, we do have understanding and that that collected body of insights is, 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 is like intuition. We have an intuition about the beings, the kind of problems this being has. And so then the use of language becomes much more interesting because then you don't have to figure anything out anymore really. Uh, you, you sort of you understand and you see well the real challenge then is to sustain the awakened mind. And then the language becomes language of usually just a, a word, just a suggestion of uh, a suggestion which fits your tendencies of grasping. So it might like if you if, if a person is really into self-disparagement um, and and going on like that, the language might be no. And just that might be sufficient. Rather than why am I thinking so much and I keep doing that. That's not really mindfulness, that's just habit. Or it might be just like like the one of the words I use a lot on retreats that I like. Uh, teaching that non-preoccupation. And just that word, non-preoccupation. To do that, to not be preoccupied, you have to you have to step back. You're still aware, you're still present, but you're not caught up, preoccupied with thinking. You're not even trying to get rid of thinking. So let's say you feel anger, one feels anger or fear or whatever it is, and it's a non-preoccupation. And then there's awareness of fear, awareness of anger. You're not preoccupied with it. Now, the unpleasantness of it makes it very difficult. That's where the craving comes up. So you can see something which is ordinary, like when you, uh, you, know, when you just listen to the wind and it's not ripping the tent apart. <laughs> uh, just the sound of the wind is very ordinary. And, and just to do that, to learn to do that, so that when something... And you don't attach to that. You don't, but what you attach to in the ordinary is just the random scattering of thought because we're heedless so when life isn't dangerous or threatening or whatever the mind just kind of mumble 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 just in kind of low-level thinking but low-level thinking then usually goes into to high-octane thinking because the mind's not trained so it's very important to train all the time to train in awakening all the time and to train in those, those times where you're not threatened or there isn't anything difficult is, is very fruitful. So like here in a monastery, you're waiting for the meal to start. Do you train? Or is your mind just thinking and looking at the monks and making critical comments about the way they bow? Is your mind really awake to the way things are? If you do that, like you know, you're waiting for, for, for lunch to start, it's awakening, just awaiting feels like this. And bring your mind to silence. You don't have to close your eyes. You don't have to do anything special. You can. It's it's okay. But you just oh, it's being in this room is this way. Or let's say if you've never been in a monastery and there's always bowing and ritual going on, and you feel awkward doing it, you feel awkward not doing it. <laughs> you can't win. Uh, and it's just oh, just awkwardness feels this way. And that's what it feels to be awkward. Or you're, you're, you know, you're having breakfast with a bunch of people you don't know. Uh, and you feel kind of a bit shy. Oh, shy feels this way. Or, or you, you know, whatever, whatever the pattern is. So, so the, the monastery becomes a kind of constant, uh, in life hopefully, becomes this constant opportunity of awakening. 
And, 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 and then the language, like I say, becomes like self-coaching. Coaching yourself towards this uh, uh, constant possibility of the awakened mind, because it's always available. It's always available if you're not preoccupied. So in the, in, in the, the most difficult emotions or the most uh, benign uh, sounds of the wind, the awakened mind is always there. And, and, and how do you reach that? It's through non-preoccupation, non-grasping, letting go, letting be. There's different, different language people like, like to use, just knowing. And then if one bears with the, the, the conditions which have a lot of craving around them, then the craving to get rid of is a very strong craving, not to have, not to be. If you bear with those kinds of cravings and you just watch them, they're very uncomfortable, but in the cessation of those cravings, there's a different kind of peace. There's the craving of not having to be a, a, a perfect person, not having to be the person that you've defined through culture and, and what, because because you just you realize that awareness itself is good enough, and so they get irritated. Fine, irritation is this way, um, but you, you don't act on it, don't speak on it, and you have this kind of confidence that, yeah, it's not about personality. It's not about emotions. It's not about bodily states. It's not about um, uh, worldly skills. Worldly skills are great, but it's not about all that. Those are just worldly things. It's about awakening. And so, whether you, you know, the world perceives you as a failure or a success, whether you get praise or, or blame, you, you can you can know that. The worldly way is always. Uh, um, the kind of wow factor, you know, I can do this and I can do that. But in, 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 in awareness, you can't really fail with awareness. You can certainly uh, burn the scale of potatoes <laughs> or do something like that, and then the whole monastery will blame you or something like that. But in awareness, you can't fail. There's no failure in awareness. Awareness just knows. That's why it's transcendent. It's not about success or failure. We do our best. We try our very best. We try to make a meal, or we try to organize work, or we try to give a dhamma talk, or what, you know, whatever, whatever responsibilities happen to be. But the awakened mind just knows. Oh, with that, as conditioned, people like me, didn't like me. Try to adjust, but our, our refuge isn't in what other people think of us. Our refuge is in that awake mind. And that awake mind is compassion, because it includes everything. If you understand the awake mind, you'll see that the world arises and ceases in the awake mind. It's not out there. As, as an experience, as, as an existential experience, is the only way we can know the world arising and ceasing in awareness. And once you get that, you see that awareness contains everything, and then you understand what compassion is. Compassion uh, for all the conditions, whether they are good, bad, or ugly, compassion for the hatred that might arise in consciousness, compassion for the hatred that others have, because it's, it includes compassion, kindness, uh, metta, these different ways we talk about it. It's an inclusive mindset, right? And what includes everything is awareness. Whereas our, our attachment to idealism, our attachment to conceit, our tendency to divide and judge and say this is this person shouldn't be like that and the monster shouldn't be like that and so on. 
those are okay. We need judgment. We need to live in a world of analysis, and and those those are important. But they're not a refuge. They're not really a refuge. So we can know them, but when they're driven by attachment to ideals, they can be really nasty. Really, really nasty. All the kind of politics we hear about, really cruel, divisive, um, self-righteous energies can come from that. Notice that like awareness is not is not an ideal either. Emotions are not ideals. And awareness is not an ideal. You say, I should be aware, but that's a thought. Awareness is not an ideal. It knows. It just knows. It's just pure knowing. And when you, when, you, when you train in that, when you make that strong, and you constantly reiterate this, this teaching around change, this will change. This will change. It's uncertain. It actually brings peace. Because you're no longer relying on the condition phenomena, on the changing phenomena, your home, your refuge, your your um, true nature is in the in, in the awareness of change, and that's that's uh, that's to be to be cultivated, to be trusted, to be explored. Uh, it's it's really a very uh, amazing thing about being a human that that part that we we can be aware and awake. Okay, I'll leave that for your reflection. And we are in